Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. back everybody i'm your host dr Corey petty you're listening to hashing it out uh colin is not with us today something came up last minute that he had to attend to he will be with us next week or the week after depending on how long it takes him to attend to those things <laughs> uh today's guests we have ayo akinyele from ceo of bolt labs um why don't we do the normal introduction uh, and tell us kind of how you got into the space we can talk a little bit about what bolt bolt about Bolt Labs, but I think the majority of this conversation is security focused and interesting things outside of kind of Bolt Labs, but also like tangentially useful for Bolt Labs. So, what's up? Hey, Corey. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to talk about you know security and, and Bolt Labs. Uh, so, my background uh, is in cryptography and uh, specifically cryptographic engineering and software engineering. So I basically combined, um, you know, applied cryptography with, you know, writing code. Um, at Johns Hopkins, uh, worked on a lot of uh, problems related to uh, transitioning, you know, theoretical advanced crypto uh, to the real world. So I built a lot of uh, uh, libraries and, and uh, compilers and programming language tools to make that easier for cryptographers uh, as well as uh, system developers. That got me really interested in the applied side um, and spent a lot of time um, working on this idea called attribute-based encryption. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a advanced form of public key encryption that allows you to um, basically combine confidentiality with uh, access control so you can um, encrypt data in a way that you specify attributes that describe that data. And then later you can give out keys to the individuals that you want to be able to decrypt um, with the right um, credentials. And so it's a, it's a really nice uh, way to do, you know, all kinds of um, access control based uh, encryption. And, and so I spent a lot of time, you know, building that academically um, and then did a startup um, around that after I graduated from Hopkins. Um, you know, called um, uh, the uh, Open ABE Toolkit. And part of that experience, you know, I, I spent, um, you know, basically about four and a half years just understanding how uh, these advanced crypto primitives can be used in the real world. And uh, part of that journey was understanding the, the practical um, uses of, of, the, uh, of the encryption. And so, I enjoyed, you know, um, essentially the, the the opportunity to get government funding to build um, this commercial library. This was work done with uh, some of my uh, collaborators at Hopkins, um, and after that, uh, I you know got introduced to um, 
uh, Bitcoin through one of my advisors. I mean, he had already uh, did a bunch of work in terms of privacy um, and uh, Matthew, Matthew Green in particular. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, he, he had basically done a lot of work um, in this space and I've kind of been watching from afar. Um, I was skeptical, but I was interested. Um, and so probably around 2017 is when I kind of jumped in, um, you know, full time in terms of, you know, auditing for cryptographic, uh, sorry, for cryptocurrency related projects and then uh, transition to uh, working um, on, on Bolt full time as a result of working with Matt Green and, and Ian Myers. Yeah. So what's Bolt? I mean, tell me, give us a quick introduction. I was gonna, but if, so before Bolt, we yeah. before we start that, I guess um, we have a whole interview basically with you on Block Channel where we discuss the ins and outs of Bolt. So if you're interested in that, um, you're, if you're more interested in that uh, further than what you just say, I'd recommend the audience to go listen to that on uh, Block Channel to, to get more details on on Bolt. Yeah. Thanks for the plug. And, and there was also another um, uh, podcast with Epicenter that oh, perfect. allowed me to talk about Bolt from a different perspective. Um, but yeah, so so Bolt is really a improvement on, on Lightning uh, for Bitcoin that focuses on the ability to do uh, privacy uh, for uh, two-party channels where you are locking up funds in escrow and you're moving uh, value using that escrow um, at a very low cost. So it's a way to do fast, cheap, uh, payments um, where you're using the, the blockchain as the root of trust and you're taking um, the you know intermediate updates to uh, that escrow account um, off chain and so it allows you to amortize the, the cost of uh, moving value over a long period of time and so this is uh, the uh, de facto way to do like you know Bitcoin um, on a on a on a massive scale where you have all of these trusted connections uh, between entities uh, or between parties and you're able to kind of use these these established channels to move value you know efficiently um, and cheaply and so bolt is building on that by adding privacy um, and the 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 limitation with how lightning is constructed today is that the the state in the channel is symmetric so both sides of the channel see you know, every state update. Mm -hmm. And so what Bolt is trying to do is make it asymmetric where one side, where's the, who's gonna be the customer is able to see that state and then convince the counterparty who could be a hub, could be, uh, who knows who else is connected to that, uh, that third party, but you're essentially proving in zero knowledge um, each state update, you know, that uh, it satisfies certain constraints, um, which is that like, you have sufficient balance in the channel, you are someone that the person has interacted with in the past, um, and that you know you have a range proof on the updated balance of the channel. And so they don't learn the current balance of the channel, but they're convinced that you know you are a customer that, that they've interacted with in some past. And so you're able to hide um, in, the, in the set of all the, over the set of customers that that uh, counterparty um, has open channels with. Yeah. So basically, you you start off by saying these are this this is the rule set that we're going to agree to, and then when you start, I guess the conversation between one another, you don't see what the contents of that of each message is. You only see that it it it's within the constraints of what that initial rule set was, and that's kind of the whole idea of zero knowledge proofs, right? Yeah. So so zero knowledge proofs are a way to prove, um, you know, publicly to a verifier that a statement is true. Um, without having to reveal any secret information. Um, and so, you know, 
our variant is like proving knowledge of a secret. Yeah. Um, and so, which is a, a variant of a, just a traditional zero knowledge proof. Um, and so that's based on, you know, the, the hardness of the discrete log problem. Um, it doesn't require any, you know, uh, any sophisticated trust assumptions. Um, and because of that, you know, it allows us to prove very simple statements about the, the channel you know, at, you know, at a very low cost in terms of efficiency. So it's fast to verify, fast to generate. Um, and then, you know, it allows us to essentially, you know, build this payment proof that gives this customer this flexibility to not reveal um, everything about their wallet, their off-chain wallet, um, but they're able to convince this verifier and, and update the state of the channel uh, blindly. And so it gives them a way to achieve anonymity um, and it solves the problem of you having to trust uh, the, the counterparty. like. Right now, you know, there's implicit trust built into uh, the Lightning protocol in the sense that, like, you're you're assuming that the counterparty won't share your data in terms yeah. of how you how you use that channel with a third party. Um, and so, Bolt is a way to take some of that control back um, and um, and reduce the amount of information that that hub has to store for each channel. And so. I also view it as a way to harden uh, routing nodes um, in that their only job is to perform this function of moving value um, across different channels. Um, they can obviously rebalance to make sure that, um, you know, they have sufficient capacity, but you can learn that information in aggregate rather than um, be able to being able to link the identity of a particular uh, customer that's making a payment with that actual payment. And so, um, you know, we're able to kind of achieve this this balance um, by um, by using zero knowledge proofs and blind signatures uh, and commitments. That's really cool. It keeps kind of the balance on on what hubs are capable of doing if they get to the point of like having too many connections, too many peers, or too, they're too like too much centrality on the graph of what the network is actually doing. Right. Right. And, and so this is great from a like capability standpoint and the guarantees, the privacy guarantees that we have. But the, the main constraint is that you still require uh, that hub to have sufficient liquidity. So, you know, who, who are the entities that can actually be these trusted third parties uh, or, or trustless third parties um, that, you know, are able to perform this functional exchanges come to mind, obviously, because, yeah. um, you know, users gravitate to their service, uh, OTC providers, uh, custodians of, of Bitcoin, qualified custodians of Bitcoin. So entities like Anchorage um, and, and crypto banks, you know, so Silvergate, Signature, these are banks that are coming up that are crypto friendly and are able to, you know, provide, um, you know, essential, essentially, you know, serve as, as, um, as, as lenders for, you know, crypto, uh, uh, startups as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think any, any, any entity that, that is sitting on a stockpile of, of Bitcoin or whatever the asset is that, that you want to take off chain, uh, can, can serve or be part of this network essentially. And I kind so of find that, necessarily... sorry, sorry, go ahead. I, I find that interesting in terms of like, this is, this, it, it runs with the theme that I see a lot of what this, this whole technology is doing. And that's uh, like uh, giving people options to interact with the people that they want to interact with the way they'd like to interact with them and not like confining yourself to a, a narrow form of communication, right? So like right. you can still do all of the things you would like to do. Like if you want to have these symmetric relationships with people, you can have them. If you don't, right. then this gives you an option to not do that, which then right. the entity that provides these services can then have like a fine-grained resolution and uh, and, and how they interact with you based on what the customer needs. 
Exactly. And then I think that's the optionality that I think we need at layer two uh, for blockchain, just because we don't know what will be built on top, right? We know we have an idea of the type of network that we want to have, but we don't know the, um, the applications that will uh, capture the value from a mainstream perspective. And so having this ability to kind of pick between the two is really the, the starting point. Um, and for us, you know, privacy is an, an important ingredient to be able to achieve this. Uh, there's really no other way to do it. Um, and so all, all our approach has really been to focus on the business to business use case, um, you know, and in talking to uh, some of the exchanges that, that um, are, you know, adopting Lightning and, and thinking of different ways to use it, um, you know, they have, you know, requirements to, um, you know, not only protect the, the Bitcoin that they're uh, holding, but to uh, allow users to move that Bitcoin outside of their ecosystem, like outside of their security boundary. Um, and so Lightning is a way for them to, to, to do that um, at a very low cost. And so when you add privacy on top of that with Bolt, then you could essentially think of what we're doing as a, uh, a private network that allows these trusted uh, exchanges to, well, these, these exchanges that, that hold a lot of assets to move value privately um, and hide their on-chain activity from essentially hackers, right? Because mm -hmm. I mean, they're, um, they're dealing with, you know, having to increase their security budget to secure hot wallets and, you know, continue to um, try to hide what their on-chain footprint is, right? But it's really a, a delicate balance. Um, and so from a regulatory standpoint versus uh, protecting from, you know, hackers that are trying to, um, you know, steal those Bitcoins. Yeah, so I, I think, think Web 2.0 Web has definitely taught us the idea that, um, the more you aggregate value into a single place, the more attention you'll, you'll attract yourself. And, and, and the data breaches alone could tell you all the things there, as well as like where people, where hackers spend to tend, tend to spend all of their attention, time and effort. And, and with public blockchain or trustless blockchain systems, they're inherently public. So if right. someone does the same type of activity, it only makes them worse than maybe a traditional 2.0, a exactly. web 2.0 uh, entity. So like things like this, this helped them get up to standard in terms of how mm -hmm. they would like to protect themselves from um, having having value stolen. Right, right. And so for, for us, you know, we've been trying to kind of identify um, how we can, you know, best solve uh, these these uh, important pain points that allow the ecosystem to continue to grow, um, but like allows us to, um, you know, show the value of where privacy. Um, can have the most impact, you know, for, you know, the, the massive corporations that exist in crypto today that don't seem to be going anywhere, right? I mean, we're, obviously, we want the, the these exchanges to be completely decentralized. But, you know, based on the trend, you know, that's not likely within the next five years. Yeah. Um, you know, decentralized exchanges are still uh, too small and too, but, but there is an opportunity to have a bridge between, you know, centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges. And I think layer two is the best way uh, for us to build that kind of network. Um, and, you know, so I think over the next couple of years, it might not be user facing per se, um, but I think, you know, once we get through this wave where um, we've established this this network for, for these, you know, exchanges to kind of move value cheaply and and, and be better custodians of, of crypto assets, then, you know, and, and, and obviously OTC providers and, and the, custodians are all in this bucket, mm -hmm. um, but it gives us an opportunity to, you know, um, look at the, the user uh, consumer side of things and, and, you know, kind of, you know, extend these same capabilities to them. And so I, my uh, philosophy is really that the B2B case um, is the, the best chance for 
um, you know, getting our technology embedded, um, and then B2C will come, you know, after that. That makes sense. So like I was, I've said this, uh, quite a few times in, uh, one of the other podcasts that I do the Bitcoin podcast. And it's, I think the main thing that we're doing here, um, in the blockchain space in, like in total is, um, really, really pushing and incentivizing researchers and businesses to make um, cryptography usable, right? Right. None of this, none of these things are remotely capable of, of existing if we don't have these strong security guarantees around the cryptography that we use. That is like the primitives of building these things up, right? Right. Um, when you entered this space, and especially coming from a like a making theoretical cryptography and encryption applicable to, to systems and having a deep understanding of how this works um, and what and what constraints can you use this particular thing when you will go outside of it uh, like how did you view all of this and how do you view this space coming coming from that background so I, I think the the great thing with academic you know cryptography is that we have you know it's like we're, we're always 10 years ahead like a lot of the technologies that um, that are being deployed today have been well researched over the last you know couple decades, um, and so I think back to eCash. You know that was originally proposed like in the early 1990s by David Chom, right? Um, mm -hmm. And he was proposing you know blind signatures with RSA, and so we kind of see. I mean, it didn't take off because of the the problem of like trust, right? Mm -hmm. he, he was. Uh, still building to trust the intermediary, a bank, right? Yeah. yeah, you had to trust the uh, the intermediary, and so you know Bitcoin removed that, right? It's a decentralized way of doing it, and and I think since Bitcoin, um, we've seen more academic cryptographers kind of switching um, to this space and looking at the problem of how do we continue to um, innovate around removing trust, and so privacy is really where. Um, a lot of that effort has been directed. Um, and so if you look at Zcash, you know, they started out as a, you know, um, as a, a just trusted setup type of approach to uh, generate these, um, uh, the, this key material, which they call like a toxic waste mm -hmm. um, that allows bootstrapping the zero knowledge proofs so that you can generate very um, compact and, um, and, and, and easy to verify proofs, um, you know, for uh, the consensus layer in a way that like, um, that, but but the, the main problem is that this key material comes out of this trusted setup, um, and this trusted setup is you know depending on how you run it, and you know it was run in a way um, that was polarizing, or it, and, and so there's been a lot of innovation around improving you know how we do trusted trust trusted setup and making it more trustworthy, mm -hmm. um, and you know making it possible to update these initial parameters for zk snarks um, over time, and so we've seen a lot of work um, from you know very uh, talented cryptographers. Um, in this particular space, because it's, you know, the, the Zcash technology is starting to spread or has been spreading, you know, to other chains. And, and so, for, for example, Ethereum, um, uh, you know, Tezos is, is com uh, con considering adopting Sapling. Um, and, and, and so on and on we, we go in terms of how this technology continues to spread. And so I think uh, cryptographers are starting to focus more on, you know, the, the points that we trust intermediaries and, you know, removing that trust and looking at solutions that allow us to do that. Um, and so this also involves like distributed key generation um, and, and, and all of this stuff is, is related to, I think, in my opinion, you know, um, making things more, making uh, blockchains more trustless. Yeah, and efficient. And a lot of the stuff efficient. is like is like striving because we had zero knowledge proofs or zero for Starks, 
that's uh, true. for so long, but they just were inefficient. And this like mm-hmm. this type of thing pushes for the like the applicability of a lot of that stuff in real world systems, so that you know end users can actually benefit from the the cool right. things you can do with with numbers in that sense. Like I I did my yeah. PhD in in more or less quantum mechanics, oh, and Based in that, there's a, like, there's a tremendous amount of information theory because it's, it's a probabilistic based um, uh, theory, right? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 come, I come to find out, I really, really, really have like a, a really, uh, I'm very interested in it. I love information mm-hmm. theory, how it works and mm-hmm. probabilities and how these things tend to kind of work in real life systems. But had I known that this world of cryptography would have blown up in a lot mm-hmm. of ways or like like, like opened, opened up in a lot of ways for <laughs> right. for for a lot of interest in new innovative technology, I probably mm. would have done that instead, right? Right, right. So like, I'm, I'm kind of envious of all of the like cryptography researchers out there that are like, oh shit, like, yeah, like not only we, we no longer have to even like stay within academia to be relevant, right? Um, there's, we're starting to build a lot of businesses and systems that then incentivize people to go out and do research yeah. and, and fund it in a lot of ways, and I think that's right. one of the really great things that's happened in this space as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the perfect alignment uh, for cryptography in general because, um, you know, so for me, when I started out, my focus really was on uh, data security and kind of preventing, making it harder for data breaches to happen, mm-hmm. right, and building, you know, systems that, that, that do that. Um, and and so, obviously, cybersecurity is a huge field in itself, but, um, you know, with, with, with crypto or cryptocurrency i mean it's it's like the perfect blend of all of these different concepts from distributed systems to cryptography to um you know uh, crypto economics right i mean there's just so many uh different layers to to it and i think it's just provided the perfect application for um for all of us i think Um, are you you familiar with the pyramid of pain no i'm not okay so pyramid of pain is this uh there's a blog that came out, I forgot how many years ago. It's a cybersecurity uh, concept in that like, it's they're trying to move up the pyramid of pain to, <laughs> to kind of, it's like as you move up this this like ladder basically of things you can detect and mitigate within your own infrastructure, um, mm-hmm. you slowly start to make it more and more and more difficult for the attacker to continue attacking. And uh, basically, under the same, under the premise that uh, hackers are lazy, they're going to go after mm-hmm. the easiest things that don't uh, that don't make them change their behavior. Uh, it's a really interesting. Thing. I'll put it in the show notes for you to check it out. And I was interested because from a from a traditional web security uh, point of view, there's very specific things you move up, like the the like the things that you change, the things you can mitigate for, things you can you can uh, protect against mm-hmm. uh, to to basically protect your organization and make an attacker say, oh, fuck it, it's not worth it in right, a lot of my times. So right. yeah. Usually at the very end, it's it's making him change his behavior in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I was I was always curious if people have heard of this and if they've thought about it in the context of crypto or Web or web mm-hmm. 3 and how that Defense changes. In depth. Yeah. I think that's the, the, the term that, that I'm, I'm more familiar with. But yeah, like the, yeah, I, I think that's, that's definitely uh, very true, uh, just because like the way the space has evolved, uh, like we want things to be decentralized, but we keep coming back to uh, central like gateways, right? Mm-hmm. That, that that still um, require onboarding users. And, and, and one of the things that, that I remember from David Chom's uh, like experience, and I think I read this on Wikipedia um, when I was digging into this a little bit, but like his opinion on um, why you know Digicash um, didn't succeed, and he felt like at least the limited deployment that they had, that um, 
that users didn't really understand the value of privacy. Um, and it was like too soon um, and it was kind of ahead of its time. Um, and so this, 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 this brought up the idea that like, you know, we're still in this space where, um, uh, you know, these gateways still represent the easiest way for uh, users to, so, so what I'm getting at is the convenience of, of, of crypto. And so those are the entities that seemed to, you know, capture the, the I guess, the attention of, of users. Um, and, and so this might be a little off topic, uh, but yeah, <laughs> your comment just got me thinking about, uh, at least about that um, and how we've got to do a better job of, uh, you know, making things more usable. Here's and... here's the thing about that. that I, and I have a lot of trouble with this because I, I mean, I'm a security engineer for a company trying to have uh, user facing customers who where we abstract away a lot of this stuff, but like, um, it's a fundamentally different way of thinking about how you interact with a different with, with an entity. Like mm. the 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 channel of communication is fundamentally different. I'm no longer offloading responsibility to someone else. I'm responsible for it. Like the whole tenet of a lot of like peer to peer systems and decentralization, and especially with focus on privacy, is that I'm no longer making someone else responsible for anything I hold value, I am. Mm -hmm. And with that, there's a different like social contract associated with it that people aren't used to. Mm -hmm. if, I, if, if I offload all this stuff, then my then what I have to do is, is not a lot. It's very easy and convenient for me to use them. So and by that nature, I'm, off, I'm offloading security for convenience in a lot of ways. That's true. And people That's take that as a fundamental thing in which, in which like what is convenience. Like you need mm -hmm. to do that. I don't think you have to do that in the spaces, but there's a trade-off there in which like I need to be responsible for these things. I need to understand that like if I lose this, it's gone. There's no there's nothing right. else that anything can do. Like, do you think that we can get to the ease of use and convenience of Web 2.0 with the way in which we're building systems in Web 3? Yeah, I think we can. I mean, so there's this um, there's this wave of services that are coming out that make it more easy for users to maintain custody of their assets and still be part of the ecosystem, whether for payments or trading or whatever, it, whatever. Um, and, and one of the, the things that like is really, really challenging is the key management problem, right? Mm. Like yeah. if <laughs> there's just so many ways you could, you know, you can, you can screw that up and, and shoot yourself in the foot. And I think that scares a lot of people. Um, but I think, there are uh, approaches to, to make that easier that leverages, you know, um, you know, cloud storage, um, you know, things like Dropbox, Google Cloud, um, in which you can encrypt things, um, you know, store it. You just use those services as dump storage to back up your uh, most, uh, you know, sen sensitive. Um, and keys. doing things like Shamir secret sharing, where exactly. like you basically right. break the break the encryption up into multiple pieces and then store it on different right. places so that no one entity has full control over it. Right. And funny they should mention that. I mean, that's one of the underlying building blocks for attribute-based encryption. Oh, it's perfect. Like, it's, it's like secret sharing combined with with um, with a um, over, you know, pairing-based elliptic curves mm -hmm. and uh, combined with um, um, what are effectively called... Um, yeah, so, so those are the two primitives. Yeah, so secret sharing and, and over pairings. Uh, and it allows you to kind of break up a secret, you know, so that secret could be the thing that that's uh, protecting your wallet um, and in such a way that you can, you know, attach specific policies for or conditions for when that secret can be reconstructed. And so these policies can be anything. So it could be like, I have my, you know, device. So I have an attribute on my device. I have an attribute 
in the cloud have an attribute, you know, in this other application. And so only when I'm actively logged into all three can I reconstruct a secret that allows me to decrypt my wallet. Um, and is it a more efficient way of multi-factor authentication? It would be, yeah. It could in, be, in my yeah. Opinion, it, it could, it could definitely be. I mean, there are some. So, so the the one problem with with attribute-based encryption is that it still requires a you know a trusted third party, um, you know, for the key generation part of it. But okay. if you are you know um, applying it, this to your own data, then you are serving as your own you know trusted entity, right? Okay, so uh, like let's take it in the context of. Are you familiar with what universal logins is in the Ethereum space? Not as. Okay, so it's basically a smart contract that exists as your identity, and it ends up being like mm -hmm. your, your management identity, where you then delegate um, various levels of trust to various devices that then can sign uh, off on I various see. things, right? Mm -hmm. It seems as though this would be something um, something useful there, and maybe that's actually how it works underneath. Um, yeah, so, so I think that's the uh, analogy for uh, signatures. Um, you know, for for what I'm describing, it's more for encryption, and so so I think they are um, okay. equivalent. So I mean. For signatures, it's usually called threshold cryptography. Um, ah, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like also like because I work for I work for Status, which is a like a like, which has a lot of private messaging associated with it, and in the, uh, the context of group chats, um, mm -hmm. encryption of messages and um, how you you send because most of the time when you do group private group chats, it's 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 the same thing as having a one on one group chat just scaled pairwise to everyone in the group, which doesn't uh -huh. scale very well in terms of managing keys. Right. Uh, and, and, and revocation for that matter. Yep. And like, I'm, I'm very interested in new types of cryptography or, or, or budding types of cryptography that allow um, a scalable group chat that has a very good user experience in terms of adding and removing people from a group. Right, right. I mean, it's, it's a very difficult problem. And yeah. I know Signal has done a lot of work mm -hmm. to make this more usable, um, but like there's still a lot of um, innovation to be done there. And I think like revocation is, a, is another uh, problem, you know, and especially when you think about, you know, people losing their devices um, and, you know, being able to recover, you know, the, the history of a group chat and, you know, how far back, you know, so there's a lot of um, practical issues that, that make it, um, you know, make it hard to build a, a truly usable, you know, group. Uh, and that's the difference between that, that kind of like that user experience of uh, centralized versus decentralized. Right. And, and it's with, with, with privacy in mind. Um, mm -hmm. But as we, I think as time continues on and we keep having data breaches and instances of companies who hold this data taking advantage of it and profiting from it, right. um, people are going to wisen up and realize that privacy is really important and start to look for things that, that give that. But at the same time, it's a really hard problem. There's not a lot of people trying to solve it because, right. uh, because the usability is so bad. So growing a, a business out of it is very hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I find myself like when I struggle with Signal, I re, you know revert to using things like Telegram mm -hmm. and you know or group chat, you know, and it's it's frustrating, you know, um, but it, it is what it is, and I think um, I'm hopeful that at least with more innovation uh, in this space, you know, we'd be able to have a truly usable uh, you know group chat um, type app with encryption built in. What do you like? What, what do you what do you what are you excited about when you think about all this stuff? Because I we're having a tremendous amount of focus on kind of rebuilding the web in a decentralized manner. Um, do you think that's going to work? Are you excited about it? Or do you, do, you, do you see obvious problems that we're going to hit and then like hit real hard? And maybe it's a wall. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out, but I think, you know, there is a lot of potential to, um, to, to build it in a way that, 
uh, allows us to do more. Um, I don't, I mean, it's hard to, to identify the winners. Um, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of interesting uh, work going on, but I haven't uh, paid uh, as much attention as, as I should uh, to, um, you know, at least the, well, the players. That are... That's the, the, the kind of concept that I don't th think people get a lot, uh, a lot of people understand is that as things get bigger and, and broader and people start to specialize into a specific field, um, like a, I think there's a cartoon basically is like PhDs are basically just digging holes yes. and just into specialization. And the further right. down you go, the harder it is to lift your head and see like right. at, at, even at ground level, see what's going and on. And to keep up, this is yeah. another thing. It, it's really, really hard. There's so much going on in the space. Like I remember when we started this podcast or like the, the Bitcoin podcast proper, mm -hmm. um, I understood everything that was going on. I knew everything that happened within the Bitcoin space because mm -hmm. there wasn't that much. It was very easy right. to keep up and give people a pulse of it. Now it's just, it's with every, with all the different networks, all the different innovation within a single network, it's impossible. And right. so like, yeah. So I was interested in, in block stack um, for, for a bit. Um, but like, I mean, I'm not entirely sure um, where, how they're doing in terms of, you know, mainstream um, uses. I mean, I, I know they have like sample applications that, that are web three friendly, um, you know, like things like Google Docs and or Google Doc equivalents, you know, yeah. kind of operate in a decentralized way. And, um, you know, I've, I've paid attention to some, you know, social media related projects, like, you know, they tried to reinvent, you know, Facebook in a, in a you know, more decentralized way and uh, with privacy built in, uh, you know, so I, I've seen those ideas, I just don't know how well um, they're going to do with uh, users and yeah, because like well, the people who need to use them, um, right, if they're the coming, most. they're coming to them with the same idea that they're using the same thing, then they're going to have a bad time in terms of user experience. They're going to go back to it, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, I just so, had a question. I forgot what it was. Damn it! <laughs> well, it's... oh yeah, uh, attribute-based encryption. Um, I see it. You said it's, it's it's based on encryption, so you want you're trying to obfuscate data in a certain way. What mm -hmm. public key encryption? Public so it's key an advanced encryption. form of public key encryption. Okay, because I'm thinking about like what, how could that set a potential use for something like decentralized storage? Yes, absolutely. So, um, so one of the so th there are two flavors uh, for, and we can call it ABE. Just that's typically sure. the. Um, so there's a there's a key policy variant, which basically means that you know the policy that you want. Um, that you have in mind for your access control is attached to the key material that you generate. And then attributes are, um, are used for encryption. Um, and so you can essentially give specific people, um, you know, keys that have a, a specific conditions that allows them to access certain content. So it, it, it more maps to like electronic medical records where you have um, a diverse set of um, information and that you want to chop it up into data objects um, and encrypt each thing um, differently based on the attributes that best describe that piece of data. Um, and then you have another variant called ciphertext policy that has the relationship reversed. So you have um, attributes on the key and then you have a policy attached to the data. And then what this allows you to do is, you know, role-based access control. So mm. if you're a janitor uh, or uh, or billing assistant, you know, you would only get credentials or the credentials can map to your key and you'll only be able to access 
um, whatever your role is allowed to access. And so you can kind of segment data uh, accordingly. Um, and so uh, and so you basically encrypt the data with the, the policies that map to, you know, whatever that, that data is being used for. If I were to try and make like a, like a intuitive analogy here, um, people who use Discord uh, basically have a group, bunch of people in a chat room. And, right. And, and, and then you have different channels with uh, different permissions around who gets access mm -hmm. to those channels, right? right? And that's all done through like role-based access. Each, each role can have specific... Um, permissions on mm -hmm. various channels, so on and so forth. So like this channel can only have, you know, this role, this role, this role, right. have access to it, so on and so forth. It's the same thing with data. If we just treat the text living exactly. in a database somewhere, mm -hmm. that's the data. Then that's And then the different roles associated with access permission to that data um, to different channels, then that's basically the same thing. If, if I'm trying to like picture it yeah. or, or give yeah. it an analogy for someone else to view. Right. And, and so this, this type of encryption is always best when there's an established way of expressing the access control properties, you know, so if it's, you know, there's, there needs to be an access control Oracle, something that you can ask, you know, for, you know, when, whenever you're trying to, you know, uh, provide confidentiality, you know, and then that's really the, the, the best way to kind of deploy it. Um, and so when we were working on this as a startup, um, you know, our focus was on um, protecting the Navy's, um, you know, classified mm -hmm. and unclassified data, you know, with all the different security levels. Sorry, that's, that's a, that's uh, a and, very good, obvious use case or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but the, the challenge though um, was um, the, the key management, uh, number one, and then number two, how to um, generate these, you know, access control policies in a way that doesn't reveal too much information about the data. And so that's an environment where like, if you, you know, you know, think some keyword is not sensitive, like, but with enough, enough metadata around this encrypted, you know, uh, piece of information, you could essentially figure out what it's protecting. And so hiding the policies is, is something that is needed in some, um, yeah, in a process of making, um, this stuff encrypted. You don't want to say this is our bucket of super, super, super <laughs> valuable stuff. <laughs> right. 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 And so that, that's the, the trade-off, like you have to, um, there are other techniques that you can, you know, apply on top to kind of um, hide the, the metadata, but it just, it's a, it's another trade-off. It makes things a little bit more inefficient um, and it makes um, just the, the overall uh, ability to deploy this, you know, a bit more challenging. And so what we ended up doing was just kind of making the, the, the library open source. We weren't able to deploy it within the Navy at the time, mm -hmm. um, just because they, they didn't have the, the right. So, so first of all, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a type of encryption that had uh, gone through like NSA review. Yeah. So they, yeah. they were familiar with, you know, the, the they don't technology. use anything without hard standards around them. Exactly. From, from my experience in, in exactly. government contracting companies. <laughs> right. And so it took like an international body to standardize ABE around 2018 that we were part of. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was like when I switched from, you know, um, that work to, you know, crypto. You sold your soul for crypto. I, yeah, yeah, but I'm still like you know super uh, <laughs> interested in in you know uh, companies building around this um, you know and and I continue to you know to support you know the library, but it's one of those things where um, I think it's still going to take time you know for us to see wide deployment of, of ABE um, and it's kind of dependent on you know finding these uh, and maybe cryptocurrency might be the best you know starting point you know especially when you think about well, it's not just cryptocurrency so this is where I get this is my this is my I guess. My argument 
um, with Bitcoin maximalists is like, what else can it do? Mm. Right. And it's like, if we think about blockchains in general, it's just basically complicated permission control in a lot of ways. If you look at smart contracts, right? The idea of smart contracts in Ethereum, like outside of value movement and the, and the logic around who gets to move value or access value in a lot of ways, um, it's a lot of permission control or access control on certain things. And if you can build in some of these cryptographic primitives, so the, like the actual like, you know, cryptographic computation mm-hmm. in a trustless way, then you can build right. a lot of these permission systems and access control systems and then layers on top and below that actually yeah. do really, really novel things without trusting an intermediary to do them. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like almost like a uh, multi-party computation on access, yeah. access control. Right, right. And, and so that's an interesting thought. So one of the things that's challenging with ABE is, is that like once you've encrypted that data, you can't really operate on it. You have to essentially decrypt it to to do things. Okay. Uh, and you know, so in the in the context of Ethereum, it seems like that would be problematic because you know you you would need to you need homomorphic uh, encryption in a lot of ways. Exactly. So so the perfect um, combination would be you know being able to encrypt in that way, um, and, and being able to operate on. And so this is where you know partial and fully homomorphic encryption come into play, but they aren't as uh, so partial homomorphic encryption is definitely efficient, but um, fully homomorphic is still, you know, ways away. Uh, but wow. I think that's where we need to get to, uh, to be able to do this, right? Because I mean, what we're essentially describing is functional, uh, sorry, computation over, you know, encrypted data, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so the, the, the less you have to decrypt uh, things to do things with that data, the better off. And so this is why, you know, maybe AB is, is best for like files and, and databases um, versus like things that, that are, stored on a blockchain where you need to be able to, um, you know, process that data before you do things. You need to decrypt that data before you do things. Yeah, the obvious thing that comes to mind uh, with this is uh, as you build stacks of technology on top of each other, um, you you tend to have trade-offs at each level you go up. That's true. Um, I can't think of a situation where, like, the next layer up is the exact same thing in terms Mm -hmm. of all the all the guarantees you have about um we'll just call it like data how that data is managed and accessed and security and so on and so forth and if we keep building layers and layers and layers and to make it essentially usable to the end user how much are we going to have to give up like are we going to be able to maintain any 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 guarantees from the bottom layer that's a great question uh, I mean, the, the goal is to, you know, preserve those guarantees as we build these layers. Um, it's just really, I think that the, the bigger challenge is hiding the complexity. Mm-hmm. So I think some of these um, approaches, like, just change the paradigm and require the, the participation from, you know, the user and, or sorry, require interaction. Um, and, and those kind of uh, protocols are harder to deploy because more things can go wrong, right? And so... Um, it's a delicate balance, but I, you know, I'm, I, I think the best we can do is, um, you know, try to um, just understand the, the threat models and, and, and try to match, you know, the, um, the best solutions for the problem versus just, you know, deploying a complex solution just for the sake of deploying it. Right. Yeah. Like, I think we have to, we have to solve these, these problems iteratively and in ways that we still preserve some amount of usability, you know, um, and I think that's, you know, that the usability side of things is where a lot of these ideas break down, 
you know, because it's like, wow, so the user has to do X, Y, and Z in order to get property X. And so, or it increases the, the bandwidth of, of communication. So there's more data that's being sent back and forth, especially if you're talking about like multi-party uh, computation type protocols. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's another uh, set of techniques that allows us to, you know, solve uh, some of these problems. But like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's trade-offs all the way. Yeah, let's take, for example, like the Lightning Network is a great example of this. Um, it's privacy preserving. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? And what it means is that you're not publishing every single interaction you do on chain. Right. Mm-hmm. You're instead uh, giving it's that information open. to the yeah. counterparty, the channel you have, right? right? right. And so, it's, like, I guess it's it's not it's the privacy is just more fine grained to who you're sharing it with, right? And then you then trust that person to make sure that they're not exactly. using it appropriate, like they're using it appropriately, right? And so, how we sell this stuff or how we talk about it, um, especially if we build things on top of Lightning Network, and then mm-hmm. that those things, those type of situations, then propagate to the next level, it's gonna make it's gonna make Basically, each stack is going to be a very, very fine-grained, specific set of like relationships that right. you apply to or, or, or you're okay with. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's maybe that's how it ends up: is that you know we keep building different things for various types of communication, and then mm-hmm. you choose what you're what you want to subscribe to. Because at the end of the day, I can still use Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. I just right. there just it just may be an associated cost with it instead of using something else. That is correct. Yeah. And, and, and part of that for us, you know, trying to make a distinction between, um, you know, privacy and anonymity when it comes to payment channels, um, because while, you know, the interaction, like you said, is private, you know, the uh, anonymity is from for the network, right? Being able to mm-hmm. kind of be part of the network and not, you know, have to trust the, the endpoints that you're connected to and, 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 and having to trust them with your information. And so everything you said is, uh, is completely correct. And so I find that some people that I talk to that come from the, you know, Bitcoin and Lightning as private enough, you know, don't see the value of Bolt. And and so I try to kind of at least um, explain what's going on at, at, the, at the lowest level uh, in terms of the interaction um, within a channel and the payments that are happening mm-hmm. on a channel um, to try to at least, um, you know, clarify what, privacy properties that we're talking about and where it's valuable. Um, but I think, you know, there, there is um, a way to have both coexisting in the sense that you'll have, you know, um, channels that don't have Bolt and, and, but not, but not necessarily like interact with channels that do have Bolt. Like you could have two things, yeah. those two things separately. Um, and options. As options. Yeah. And so that would be the ideal for us um, and in a way that's still kind of compatible, interoperable, interoperable with the uh, existing Lightning Network. All right, man. Are there, is there any, uh, we can start to wrap up from here. Are there any questions that um, you wish I would have asked you or that you would like to have talked about uh, that I didn't get around to? That is a great question, actually. <laughs> um, not really. I mean, I think, you know, with, with the other podcasts and then and this one, I think we've, um, you know, we've, um, talked about more things that I didn't get a chance to talk about in the other uh, podcast. Yeah. Um, Thank you for, for yeah, of course. Uh, thanks for coming on and diving into more things that I'm like fascinated by. I, I if I, I told my, my wife the other day that if for some reason there's a, another massive bull run and we could cash out a bunch of money that gives me a bunch, you know, allows me to sit somewhere and not care, I would just mm-hmm. go back to school and get a PhD in cryptography because all this stuff is so. <laughs> fascinating and i just yeah. want to have i don't want to have any responsibility outside of focusing on this stuff to see how it works and where it can go uh i'm excited for a lot of the future i just hope that we're able to do it in a way that's useful i totally agree yeah and if i could 
do it again as well, I would probably um, uh, focus on economics. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I know, just another one. Yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be a major at some point, right? You're gonna have like you know computer yeah. science, economics, cryptography as like a, your right. your core course load, which is gonna be something mm -hmm. that because it's gonna be like the cryptocurrency or blockchain specialty. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so, so I just recently found out that crypto economics was a thing. Um, I mean, I've I've been aware of that idea, but just the so I was at a summer school um, in Vienna. So this is a plug for the first international. Um, uh, summer school for blockchain uh, and security and privacy. And and so there was a, a session on just crypto economics and understanding efficient markets. And and, and that just blew my mind in terms yeah. of, you know, how the, the depth and the breadth of, of what that means and arbitrage and all of the things that that, that has been happening in this space for the last um, several years. But, it's a lot of the same trade-offs you think about in terms of like privacy mm -hmm. and security when you think about uh, like right. value flow and mm -hmm. and and then risk and trust on who gets to hold that value right right and the economics of securing an, uh, the bitcoin network versus yeah. other other chains yeah um it, it's really really fascinating but that's one thing i'm you to dig dig into more all right well uh, where do people go to uh reach you find out more and uh and get in contact so i'm on twitter um at ja underscore akinyele um i uh, basically have a blog well the company has a blog um, on medium uh, that you know we're going to be pushing out more content um, and our website is boltlabs.tech um, and you know where you can find information about you know the the vision and you know links to our design document and you know updates that we're we're looking to push out in the next few months awesome and if they all like this episode hit the subscribe button share it with your friends tell everybody tell your dog etc uh, join the Slack. You can have conversations with me and everyone else who talks about these things uh, on the regular. I'm always available there. And there's a few uh, kind of special bonuses there. They'll be only given the Slack that we don't give anywhere else. So thanks for listening and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks again, Corey. Thank you.